What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Kick It With Kara podcast, season two, episode two. If you've listened to our previous podcast, I say welcome back. And if this is your first time, thank you so much for listening in and kicking it with me. My name is Crystal Adesanya, founder and CEO of Kara Health, and I am your host. Also, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I hope you were able to experience all the love yesterday. And I know I personally had all the feels. I have actually been reflecting on the celebration of love and what this means. And I think one of my bigger takeaways is to just love yourself, love people around you, and spread lots of kindness this month and all year round. And as most of you might know, this is definitely my favorite month. Yes, I love February so, so much. It is Valentine's and most importantly, it is Black History Month. And for those of you who do not know, the theme of this year is Black Health and Wellness. So today we will be discussing all things Black women's health. And to do justice to this topic, I am joined by a phenomenal physician and my dear friend, the fabulous, the amazing Dr. Renesa Anthony. Now let's dive into her background a bit. Dr. Anthony earned her medical degree at the University of Chicago, her master's in public health at Harvard University, and an internship training at Vanderbilt University and fellowship in health policy at the National Institute of Health and the Office of the Surgeon General. And Dr. Anthony is a highly sought after speaker. So thank you so much, Dr. Anthony, again, for spending time with us. She is a physician and health equity advocate, and she serves on the National Institute of Health, NIH, and her focus is on health disparities and equity promotion. She also chairs federal grant reviews for the CDC, Office of Minority Health, Office of Women's Health, and the NIH. Her notable awards and recognition include the National Medical Association's top doctor under 40. Dr. Anthony has also done a TEDx talk entitled, A Recipe for Health Equity in the 21st Century. She has also testified before the US Congress in support of healthcare reform. Wow talk about black excellence now without further ado i bring you dr renesa anthony hi renesa how you doing today i'm great how are you crystal i'm doing fantastic so happy to have you on the podcast today thanks for the invitation and how's everyone doing out there Awesome. I'm sure our listeners are super excited to hear from you, Dr. Anthony. I do want to jump into this conversation, just getting to know a little bit more about you. I know you have a fabulous background, but I want to know a little bit more about Renesa Anthony. Who are you? Who am I? Well, I am many amazing things. I am a woman, a black woman. I am the founder of Momentum Park. I am a lover of life and I am human all the same. I happen to be a doctor too, who serves women and their babies. Um, As the founder of Momentum Park, where moms come first and every moment matters. But I've lived many lives in my lifetime, come from the inner city of Detroit where I was born premature. And I think my journey has led me to what I consider my soul work and my passion. So coming from 
one of the lowest income zip codes in Detroit, Michigan, and being able to leave that environment and go to a boarding school like you did, Crystal, <laughs> in Mississippi. I went to an all-Black boarding school called Piney Woods, where now I sit on the board there because, I mean, without that school, I definitely wouldn't be who I am today. And then from there, I went to the North, the South, the East, the West, internationally, and I've traveled all over to ultimately end up here where I always wanted to live in the beautiful state of California, live my soul work every single day, integrating medicine, public health and technology on behalf of mamas and babies. And when I'm not doing that, I love hanging out with my dog and being outdoors and just enjoying this beautiful playground called life. That is awesome. I, I really appreciate how you enjoy life and call it a playground because that's what it is, right? And that's how we should be venturing into our day-to-day -day lives, just living life and enjoying it while we're here. So I have a question for you. What led you to becoming a doctor? Oh, it was a journey. I mean, I, I didn't wake up where I live the way I do now. I went through a lot of trials and tribulations and I was able to really turn trauma into triumph, my pain into purpose, and really find a way to serve others by doing it. So I always wanted to be some form of doctor. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. And I really saw that my community needed physicians, or I thought that's what my community needed growing up in the inner city. And I traded in my dreams to take care of animals, to take care of human beings. And so it was a journey that led me from the farm to the clinic, and then from the clinic, ultimately out of the clinic to the communities where I take care of communities and women in the community. Okay, awesome. So you have lived a bunch of lives, like you said, and you have taught at schools, you have seen patients, you're a great, great speaker and an awesome women's health advocate. So I, I wonder, what is the most interesting part of your life and your job? I think they're separate. Like the most interesting part of my job is different than the most interesting part of my life. I've integrated them over the past three years once I left corporate America and started my own thing thanks to people like you who really inspired me that it was possible. I spent majority of my life chasing the dream of becoming a traditional doctor and so now I got the grades and I went to college and I went to medical school and you do the training and you do the fellowship and then I lived in a predominantly white world and attended predominantly white institutions and always felt as if, you know, I was code switching or where do I belong and where is my tribe? And I always had a heart for underserved, low resource communities because that's where I came from. That, that, those were my people and not really feeling like I ever found a group of people who understood or had that lived experience. I just felt like an outsider. And then something shifted when I crossed a certain age and I just kind of decided like I was gonna live life on my own terms and just decide for myself what my identity for success would be. And that was to wake up grateful to be on this side of the dirt, I guess grateful that I had an education, grateful that I've been blessed with some skills to be able to 
serve others. And in 2011, I celebrate my rebirth day every 11-11 of the year. I had a near-death experience where I went from being the doctor to being the patient. And being a patient really transformed everything. And prior to that, I was working, 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 and identifying myself through my work, through my awards, by being that person who was the first there, the last to leave. And I decided that that wasn't the life I wanted to live. I wanted to live a fuller life. I wanted more outside of work. And that journey started in 2011. So here I am 10 years later, and I feel I have a pretty good balance on that. I travel, um, I love to see different cultures and countries and places. Um, I try not to own too many things because I believe the more things you have, the more they own you. And I just like to get up and go. And so creating this amazing laptop lifestyle where I can impact lives through telemedicine has been the game changer where I can live lives just lead limitlessly in this beautiful state majority of the time uh it's just just a blessing every day that is so awesome that you share it that way I know one of the big you know questions during the pandemic and you know in this time has been about physician burnout and you know being able to live your life on your own terms while serving patients and everything like that as we think about telemedicine and the evolution of all of that. So what would you say has been a major role for telemedicine specifically for physicians and how it's impacted the lives of your patients as well? It's a game changer, an absolute game changer. I see patients remotely and I do home visits and you know, I got into a major car accident in November driving to see a patient. And my car was totaled, I was in a cast for six to eight weeks. And I feel there are benefits to seeing people in person, but there are certain things that you just don't have to see people in person for. And as women, we have so many dual responsibilities, often triple, quadruple. Women often have so many responsibilities. The idea of going to a clinic to get some results or going to a clinic just to be told, hey, I'm gonna order this and you have to go to the lab anyway. There's so many things that can be done over the computer or a smart device where I can meet people exactly where they are where they want to be, whether that's at home, in their car, at work, in the bathroom. That has been a game changer where I have seen an increase in compliance. My relationships with my patients have changed. And I even love going to people's houses more than being in a clinic because I get to see how people live. I get to connect in a very different way. And that's also what telemedicine offers. I get to be in your place, in your environment, and that gives me a better understanding of how I can best treat you. That is so awesome thinking about, you know, the connected care, you know, models and ways to really have a relationship with your patients, even outside of them coming to you, right? Coming to the hospital to see you, they can be in their own space in the comfort of their homes and really be 
true to who they are. And, and that's where you build trust and, and things like that. So that's really important. So I, I want to jump into the theme of this month. So as you know, this is Black History Month. And the actual theme for this year uh, is Black Health and Wellness. So I, I want to ask the first question, which is, right now, what does it mean to you to be a Black doctor in this time? I don't know what that word means these days um, in our country, especially as I cross over a certain sentinel age and I learn about gender identity and sexual orientation and it makes me question racial identity in these words. Um, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a person of color, what it means to be a minority is a one hour to a year conversation in itself because it reflects what my lived experience is. What I can tell you is it increases my gratitude because the life I've lived is a life that my predecessors could not have lived. Uh, people ask me, what is your greatest achievement? And it's not an award I've gotten. I've done TED Talks. I've worked with presidents and I've gotten congressional awards. But my greatest achievement when I think about it was being there for my grandfather when he passed away and he was in the ICU and I could speak the language of the critical care doctors and I made sure he got great palliative care. And the life I live is a life he could have never lived. He was born and lived through Jim Crow um, in the South in Arkansas. And so his stories and him making a trek and migrating from the South to Flint, Michigan to work in the auto industry changed our family's legacy and trajectory. And while he was not a college graduate, his decisions and his legacy allowed my generation to be able to go to college, for me to have a passport, for me to see distant lands and worlds. And it makes me grateful. And it also makes me humble because I know so many of my people are not even afforded the things that I in the life I live every day. And when I say my people, I say my own family. I get to go home um, at least twice a year back to Detroit and my life and my family's life is very different. And so I see the impact on descendants of slaves, um, African Americans in the United States and Jim Crow laws and how that still continues to have an impact on the lives and the daily experiences of African Americans in this country and the disenfranchisement. And it cannot be used as an excuse, but it definitely is a contributing factor to many of the outcomes we have, um, just life outcomes as well as, as health outcomes. So overall, I'm grateful and I don't let it hold me back. And I see it as one of my superpowers because it allows me to be able to connect with my patient population in a very different way because I show up as Dr. Anthony, but if I need to, I can be like, okay, girl, come on now. <laughs> I can keep it real when I have to keep it real and I can reach my patients in a way that other people can't when I need to. 
Absolutely. I, I think that's very powerful. You know, even your patients seeing you in those spaces and getting more comfortable to talk to you because you understand their language, you're able to communicate with them in a way that, you know, is empathetic, right? And is personal. And they can build that, you know, trust and relationship with you and feel like, oh, I can talk to, like you said, Dr. Anthony, or I could talk to Renesa. She can pull me to the side and, you know, talk to me in a way that, one, helps me get educated, but also allows me to speak up about my health and advocate for myself. So that's that's really important. So, so I guess to segue into outcomes and disparities that still exist within the African-American community, I'm curious to know some of the things that you've seen as a physician when it comes to racial disparities, right? When we think about heart health and pregnancy and mental health and things like that within our community, what are some things that stand out to you that still need change? All of them. Every single health condition, like 99.7%. And it hasn't changed since I was a medical student. I used to sit in the front row in medical school and I just slump in my seat. Like it'd be like African-Americans have the highest rates of X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, P, Q, R, X, Y, and on dermatology day, I was like, okay, I know we've got derm because we don't get that skin cancer stuff. And it was, uh, African-Americans have lower rates of skin cancer, but when we get skin cancer, we have the most aggressive form, acrolentigenous melanoma. And I was like, oh, we can't even get derm day. One day I learned about disparities and I was like, it's not biological, it's something else going on. And so we know there are all these social issues and challenges and things in the social environment that are driving these outcomes. When it comes to the area in which I'm passionate about, because you can pick anything, diabetes, hypertension, all those, anything that you choose is going to see, for the most part, a difference uh, where African-Americans or minority groups have higher rates unless it's something that's genetic. So Tay-Sachs, which happens to be higher in Ashkenazi Jews, you won't find those rates to be higher in African-Americans, but that's the only place that you're gonna find those types of rates. For me, I'm passionate about women and girls and kids and pregnancy rates and deaths. For me, thinking about how can you die from having a baby in the 21st century in America? And why are the women who are dying in America having babies? They look like me. And then our babies are less likely to blow out their first birthday candles. And it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have, that someone like me, I have 16 years of postgraduate education. I earn in the top 10% of Americans, and yet my risk of having a baby born premature or a baby that dies or me dying after or during pregnancy exceeds that of a white woman who never graduated from high school. High school. That to me was insane. And I really wanted to know why, but more importantly, what I could do to change those statistics and those outcomes. And, and that has been my life's work.
when you talk about that, it's really mind blowing every time, right? When you hear the disparities, you hear the numbers, you hear like it doesn't feel like it's changing, and, and there's a lot that has to be done. And, and this is a collective effort. So every time you know I have a conversation with someone specifically about what we do at Care Health around what kind of doctors you want to see and what is your experience, the first thing that people say is, "Well, the doctor I talked to last was biased." And they asked me questions that were not relevant to what I came in for because they just felt because I was black, then I had to be doing X, Y, Z. Because I was black, maybe I had to have babies already or because I was black and, you know, I was doing drugs or all those types of things. As you know, there are a lot of assumptions that doctors make, right? And all these biases. So what are some common things like the ones that I just mentioned that people have brought to your attention? And they didn't have to bring it to my attention. I've experienced it myself. <laughs> I was, uh, I remember I was on call one night and I had to go to the, uh, down to the ER because I was just having this terrible abdominal pain. And the house officers are taking care of me. I think the chief resident knew I was a house officer. The attending was in there. They knew I was a house officer and they're about to give me a Toradol injection uh, for pain. And Toradol is a inset, it's not even like an opioid. And this nurse comes in and she's, she looks and she's like, weren't you in here last week? This is the same girl who was in here last week and you're always in here drug seeking. And I looked and they looked and they were so embarrassed. They were like, That's, she's a house officer. And she looked again and she was like, oh, and then walked out. Not like, oh, I'm sorry, she didn't apologize. Oh, and walked out. I've had patients where I've walked in and introduced myself as Dr. Anthony, and then I'll go through the whole H&P, and then they'll say, oh, um, when's the doctor coming? Wow. And then I'll get up with my long white coat, and I go out the door, and I come back in, and I do a Wonder Woman spin, and I say, ta-da! Hi, I'm Dr. Anthony. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You just look so young. Or, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it's always something. So I just, I don't let that stuff really bother me anymore. But it can be a problem if it's life and death, right? Like I got in my car accident and I had to go to the ER and they took me through the trauma bay and there are all these people. And what I can tell you, I will never forget, is in the trauma bay, when you're laying down and you don't come in standing up so you don't get a good assessment of what's around. It's just a lot of people and a lot of voices and they're moving you and sliding you over, is that the attending was a black woman I don't even remember her name because I was really scared. She had on hijab, so I knew she was a Muslim faith, but she had my color. And she said her name and she said, I'm going to take good care of you. And it helped with my anxiety. It helped with like whatever was going on. I had somebody who was going to take care of me. And then the trauma surgeon, she didn't look like me, but she was a woman. And I was like, well, look at this. God just knows and the universe knows what I need to be okay. 
that my ER attending was black and the trauma surgeon happened to be a woman. And they took good care of me. And with all the other voices around, there was something about having people who I felt had part of my lived experience, part of my culture that made me trust being in that vulnerable position when you're cutting my clothes off and telling me it's gonna be okay, that indeed it was gonna be okay. Wow. And I think that's so powerful as you talk about your experience, not only as a Black person, but as a Black physician who has experienced something like this and experiencing it on a day-to-day. And you're someone who can advocate for yourself, right? You know exactly what to ask for. You know exactly what you deserve and you would seek it. Now, just thinking about it deeper around people who don't have that opportunity to speak up for themselves and the kinds of things they will be dealing with is very scary, right? When you think about that. And even the aspect of, you know, you even feeling represented by seeing a black physician taking care of you and seeing a woman physician taking care of you, giving you that comfort um, is a very powerful thing. And a lot of people experience this. And, you know, that's why we talk about representation and healthcare, right? Cultural relevance and competency and, and things like that uh, when you're trying to find the right doctor or doctor teams and all of that. So so I, I do have a question, right? Like, like I said, not everyone gets to be in a room like that where they have a black doctor or a woman and, and all of those things. So whenever I'm thinking about physicians themselves, how do you communicate with your physician colleagues to kind of educate them around best practices, around cultural relevance when they are talking to a patient who doesn't look like them? Earlier in my career, I think I was a much more staunch advocate and almost like a a Protestant about it, right? And it, I saw like it would be like Cultural Competence Day or creating a anti-racist workplace. And I'd be like, oh yeah, yes. And other people would be like, oh my gosh, why do we have to do this? And they didn't get it. And the good news is that most people, most colleagues, most of the time, wanted or had at least a neutral response to it. They're like, okay, I wanna learn how to be a better doctor and care for all patients and deliver the best of care. So they would come, they would participate, they'd be open to learning. Um, Sometimes they would come to me and ask me certain questions, which I'm like, I can't speak for all black people, right? And we're not all the same. You and I have, um, you know, when I first met you, I thought you were like from down the street. And then I'm like, oh, you have like a unique culture and you've been all over the place and I learned things from you. And and what's that that uh, juice stuff I like that you have at your house? Ribena. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that stuff. I'd never heard of it before, but I'm like, Ribena, I love that, right? So it's just like, I can't speak for you and you can't speak for me, but I found that Physicians and providers who are hungry and who really care, they don't need me. They'll go and they'll find the information, they're open to learning, and they provide that competent care. For those who don't give a damn, 
And I've been in the ED with one. I'll never forget that conversation. It was a man and, and he treated this patient like crap. And I went in, I saw him afterwards. I came back, I addressed it. And he said, um, I said, well, it'll make you a better doctor. And he said, I'll never take care of people like this. I'm taking over my dad's uh, practice. I don't need to know that information. Wow. And he was so ambivalent to it. Like, I don't want to take care of those people. I'm not taking care of those people. And I don't even know why I'm here and I have to do this training. For people like that, there is no amount of conversation that I could have with them. It would just be a waste of my time to have those conversations. And I didn't know that earlier in life. Now, at this point in my life, it's if you want to know, I'm here. If you want resources, I'm here. But I don't waste my time on those people who are not going to be easily converted. What I do is just make sure that patients that I care about, family members, that they don't end up in their room of care. Wow. That is, you know, it's it's actually scary when you hear like a physician who is talking in that manner and has that perspective, right? When you're in a situation where that's the only doctor that you have available to talk to, that could be really, really scary experience for a person. So I guess, and, and I want to say this, thank you also for your earlier days where you were teaching people, uh, because it's still relevant, right? It's still important as you think through, like there are physicians who are, you know, who want to learn, who, you know, are, are fortunate to be in company with folks like yourself, right? Who have deep understanding as to how you should deliver care, how you should relate with your patients and best practices, which is important across the board when we think about culture-centered care, right? How do you teach teams of doctors how to treat people who are not of the same race or skin tone as themselves and provide the same quality of care that is tailored to that demographic. So it's really important that we keep having these conversations. So thank you so much for sharing. So I guess one question that I do have for you in relation to that is how would you advise someone to be thinking when they're trying to find the right doctor for them? I really like word of mouth and referral. And then it really depends on what you're going to see a physician or a provider for. If you have a serious issue like cancer or certain types of surgery you need, I tell people the best place to be for that, for something that's rare or something that's very serious is an academic medical center. I don't go anywhere else but to academic medical centers because there are checks and balances and you just have big teams, consults, everything you need is in one place and they have the best evidence-based medicine there. And in an academic medical center, you know, I, I was on faculty at a couple of different places. I was professor for 10 years and some of the best surgeons may not always have the best bedside manner but they are the best at what they do. And the nurses will tell you like, he or she is not great at the bedside, but I'll be here to take care of you. I'll give you that. I mean, you don't spend that much time with your surgeon anyway. You wanna know that they're competent. If you're looking at primary care, you're really looking for a person that respects you as an individual. And I'm saying individual because now in this century and this day and age, I am learning so much about identity 
and how people are expressing themselves and having someone who can respect you as an individual and meet you in partnership is more important than anything, I believe. More important than we share the same race or the same culture. That is important, but you can share the same race and culture and still not get the respect that you want. It's less likely, but it's possible. So you want word of mouth, you want referrals, you wanna ask if you're looking for a women's health provider or a primary care provider, talk to your friends, talk to people that you know and say, who do you recommend? Who do you go see? And then another thing is when you call in, um, if you have insurance and, and they'll have your provider list, when you call into the clinic, the people who answer the front desk, they know these doctors. And you can ask them like, who would you see? That's always a question I ask when I'm going to a new place. Like, who do you recommend? Who would you see? Who's the most patient tolerant? And that's the person I see, not someone who's gonna rush through what I need and while I'm there. And then looking for places that can offer hybridized care, telemedicine, in person, that's always a good place to start too. And of course, Kira, that's my shout out. You wanna be able to have like this new tech, new digital health and platform. Kira is a great place to go because I know that they have providers that care because I care. Awesome. And something else to note, Dr. Renesa Anthony is also one of our providers on the platform. So you can actually get to chat with her and seek the best type of care from an awesome doctor. Fantastic at her job and also loves her patients. <laughs> kind of going towards the end and I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think, you know, one of the things and I've mentioned this to you in the past was I did see a doctor had no empathy and was just the worst. By virtue of that first consultation with her, I knew for a fact that I couldn't go to that doctor. So what you're saying is there are some situations where, you know, because of the type of care you're seeking, you have to be mindful of whether or not that person respects you and they, you know, they can't actually take proper care of you. And there are other situations where it's more about, okay, this doctor is a professional. They're really good at their job because you're probably going to see them for two seconds anyway. And the rest of their team takes proper care of you, right? So balancing and understanding like what matters the most for me, this is doctor have good ratings are they recommended by someone else what does their team look like and making sure that is the kind of holistic kind of environment that suits your specific need so i do have two more questions for you here and this is for anyone who you know is passionate about healthcare and wants to go into medicine what would be your advice for them don't do it <laughs> no um Anybody interested in being a medical doctor, I would say this has to be something that you are 99.8% sure you want to do. If there's anything else you think you may want to do, do it. Because this is a life commitment. It has amazing rewards personally and professionally, but it also comes with a huge sacrifice. So a lot of people, when it comes to family, when it comes to time, all those things, your life will be radically different than others that are not in medicine. And if you love it like I do, it won't matter. 
However, there are sacrifices that I have made by choosing a career in life in medicine. So I have fur babies versus real babies, except Crystal may have one for me and give me your first baby. Like Ruffleskilski, I keep telling you, I'm gonna take your first baby. <laughs> but I get to bring lots of babies into the world and make sure that mamas have healthy babies. But the the lifestyle is very different than anything else. So you don't work 40 hours a week. Um, and when you go home, you take patients' lives with you. And that's been one of the greatest aspects of what I do, that people trust me with aspects of themselves and their human journey that they don't trust with some of their closest family members or partners. And that to me is sacred and worth every sacrifice I've made to be a physician. However, in the 21st century, as we enter into 2022, 2023 and beyond, being a hybridized physician, I think is the way to go. I love that Crystal, you are impacting healthcare in a way that a doctor who sees patients every day never can. Your ripple of impact is profound as a founder and you are not a physician. So for those who are interested in medicine, I would say expand your horizons. I have no regrets about going to medical school and being a doctor. I love being a founder. I love being a non-traditional doctor. Find ways to make it work for you and how you can have the greatest impact on the world. That's beautiful. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know a lot of people will be so inspired by that, just especially the folks who are looking into entrepreneurship who want to come on this side, right? Or the folks who really want to dive in and see patients. But there's the best of both worlds, like yourself, you know, physicians who are also entrepreneurs who are making an impact and doing these awesome things. So thank you so much for sharing. Now, that is a great segue because you screamed at me, don't do it. So I have a question for you as we wrap this up. If you were not a doctor, what else would you be? I have so many superpowers, but one that I thoroughly enjoy is my superpower as a dog whisperer. <laughs> I love animals and that taps okay. back into my original desire to be a veterinarian. I wouldn't be a vet <laughs> and I still plan to do this in my lifetime. I am the woman who literally when I'm gone on my cameras for the house, it'll say animal detected and I'll look and like dogs will get out of their house and come to my house. Wow. Like, they they want to see my dog. They like being in my backyard. They like coming over. I am a great dog trainer and a great dog groomer. So I plan when I retire to do dog grooming because I love it of little dogs who are hypoallergenic and just to do it as kind of like a side fun thing. I actually saw a patient yesterday at their home and they had a Yorkie too. And they said, well, who cut, who cut your dog? And I said, I did this. And then they asked me if I would groom their dog. And I said, yeah. And they asked me for how much? And I said, for free. Like some people like to paint. Some people like to make music as hobbies. I like to groom dogs. And so I would wow. love to just groom her. And that's what I would be, a dog groomer and a dog trainer. All right. Well, I love that. Something else for our listeners to know, Dr. Anthony's dog's name is King Louis the 16th. 
and he is also your chief happiness officer, correct? He is. He's our chief happiness officer, and he just sired three babies. That's and awesome. Two boys, one girl, and we're going to take Princess Rebecca, so she will be our newest member to the family. All right. That is so fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really enjoyed talking to you, learning more about your background, learning more about your passions and all the things that make you so awesome and a fantastic doctor. So thank you very much again. And I will talk to you next time. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks to you, Kira, and everybody out there. Have an amazing, amazing day weekend life and go out and make your life a masterpiece. All right.